Good morning, OCM. Good morning. Today is Resurrection Sunday. And it's also April 9th, 2023. This morning, we're going to lift up our heads in hope. We're going to exalt the king who has conquered death. And rejoice in the triumphal path that he is at the head of. The triumphal procession that Christ leads us through is one that starts in a place of humility. Humility. The risen king began his journey in the same manner that each and every one of us do. And that is as a baby. Six pounds, nine ounces, heavenly diaper baby. He was an infant. And he grew into a man that was constantly dependent on the will of the Father above all others. The humbling process, it actually never ceased in Jesus' life on earth. And it is most evident in his crucifixion. Raise your hand this morning if you're sitting in a seat and you're a follower of Christ. Amen. Praise God for that. Look at those hands out there. You guys are learning that as followers of Christ, it's incumbent on all of us to deny ourselves, to learn how to take up our own cross of self-sacrifice daily, and to follow him in order that we might be glorified with him. A very crucial step in order to obtain this goal is that we must crucify our own carnal cravings daily as we strive to take hold of that for which he has taken hold of each one of us. He is worthy of all, church. He's worthy of all of our lives. He's worthy of all of our affection. He's worthy of every single one of our devotion to him. He's worthy of us sharing in his sufferings together with him. And he is worthy because he is holy. And he's given each one of us the opportunity to share in his holiness together with him. He is the fullness of God's holiness. And the Father so loves us that he destined his one and only son to be, become sin for our salvation. This means, by virtue, that we have relinquished all of our control. Somebody say amen. amen. That we have relinquished all of our own lordship. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. And we've all re relinquished our own self-generated strength to the only one who can make us holy and fit for his use. Oh, he is worthy of praise. He's worthy of exalting his name above all others. When we think about who he is, his character, and how he develops his sons, men throughout the Bible have journeyed on the triumphal path of Christ and were required to face the death of themselves so that they could end up standing in the cloud of witnesses. Amen. One such man that we love and that we admire is Moses. Good old Moshe. Moses was an archetype of a man being made holy through the means of being made humble. 
So let's all turn to Exodus chapter 3. We're going to pick up in verse 1. Say holy as you turn. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> and Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush. Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take off your sandals from your feet. For the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Guys, the culmination of Moses spending those 40 years in the desert was actually to lead him to this moment of encountering the presence and the holiness of his God. Amen. This time in the wilderness stripped him of all of his own strength. It actually formed him in the humility that was needed for him to be able to put both of his feet on holy ground. Now, right here, Moses is drawing near to a great sight to investigate a supernatural sign, but through the lens of his own natural curiosity. I wonder what that is over there. God directs Moses beyond his natural eyesight. He helps to draw his attention to the place where Moses is currently standing on that holy ground. But here's the kicker, church. Moses had to first remove his own sandals. You know, those sandals can rightly be seen as the symbols of his own self-directed footsteps. He had to remove those sandals, those self-directed footsteps, in order to stand in the holy presence of Yahweh on the holy ground that his feet were touching. God required that there be no buffer. Somebody say, no buffer. No buffer between the feet of Moses and the holy ground that he stood upon. God wanted to make sure that his righteous man, Moses, would have direct contact with his own holiness in order to draw near to hear God's direction for his voice, his path. Like a father speaking to a son, the Lord is disciplining his son here so that Moses could share in the holiness of his father. And also so that Moses could be fit with the readiness to speak on his father's behalf in order to deliver Israel out of the clutches of Egypt. So in this approaching of God's presence and the requirement to take the sandals off his feet, this was only the first step for Moses. With feet making full contact to holy ground, Moses then draws near and experiences the initial purpose of God's holiness. Do you want to know what that initial purpose is? Death. Death. Death is that initial purpose of drawing near to God's presence. 
Now, just to be clear, and as we know, the, as the story goes of Moses' life, this wasn't a physical death. But this was the death to his own glory. Death to his own version of justice. Death to his own estimation of strength. And over the course of his conversation with the living God, Moses is declaring his state of being as ill-equipped, as inadequate of speech, even reminiscing of a tarnished reputation. The death that was expressed in Moses' proclamation is seen when he says, who am I? What is the name of their forefathers, God? Will they believe me? I am slow of speech and tongue. Send someone else. Do you see the clear evidence of death as a result of entering into God's holy presence? This occurrence that happened with Moses that we're reading about in Exodus 3, well, there's no difference between that occurrence and what happened with Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. Turn with us there. Yeah, say holy as you're turning there. We'll be reading in a NKJV. That's right. We're mixing things up this morning, y'all. Oh, school. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, NKJV style. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. So I said, woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Before this vision that Isaiah has here, he had only the word of the Lord revealed to him. A manifestation of prophetic words to be spoken to the children of Israel. However, this event right here that we're reading about, it brought Isaiah face to face with the throne of the Lord and the Holy One of Israel. That's evident by the accompanying words of the chorus, holy, 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 holy. The vivid display of God's holiness and the thunderous effect of him who cried out holy. Well, it causes Isaiah to see himself in comparison with the holiness of God. When he does that, his eyes become wide open to his true state. Isaiah is now aware that he is no better than any of the people that surround him. He's a man of unclean lips, just like everybody else around him has unclean lips because he's comparing himself with the holy presence of his father. 
in that moment, he experiences the death of his own image and self-perception. And he's seared in his very soul by the holiness of God. It's evidence of him saying, I am undone. You need to know here, church, that the word undone does not just mean to leave something incomplete, unaccomplished, not totally finished. Now, the, uh, the word undone, it means something a little bit more than that. As you can see in this slide, the Hebrew word used in this passage is dama. And it means to be destroyed, done away. And it can also mean to die. And look how he explains it in the line for to die. To pass from physical life and lose all bodily attributes and functions necessary to sustain life. That's not good. No, yeah, that's 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 Dama dead. <laughs> yeah. This gives us a clearer understanding of the state of Isaiah's soul. That he was in now in comparison between himself and the holiness of God. And it was dead inside of him. He was dead. In looking at this, we can see like Moses, Isaiah was undone, destroyed, brought to death in the presence of God. Because when men are singled out by God, when they stand in his holy presence, there is no other option to compare themselves to except Yahweh himself. He alone is the standard by which each of us are measured, apart from any other. It resulted in a man who is dead to all of his desires, a man who has been destroyed of all of his cravings, and is in a state that is desperate for life. You guys ready for another example of what we're speaking about? As we go through these examples, are you gaining a deeper revelation of what we're talking to you about this morning? Turn with us to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, verse 1. And say holy as you're turning there. Holy. That's right. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake in Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, by the way, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he, Jesus, had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, Master, we toiled all night. I don't, I don't know if you know this. I don't know if you understand this. We toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. Can you hear Simon Peter's tone here? Master, that's never going to work. Master, your instruction here, it's never going to happen. But if you want, I'll do it and I'll fail anyway. I'll just go out. I'll be obedient to you, God. 
And I'm going to fail, and you're going to see me fail, but I'll do it anyway. I was right the whole time. That's right. I was right, God. <laughs> this is just one, listen, of many of these experiences for Peter. Many. We're not telling this to comfort you. We are telling this, though, to encourage you that your walk doesn't end in this thought. Peter went through many, many of these experiences. And in this passage, we're actually going to see Peter become undone in the holy presence of his Lord. You guys want to see him become undone here? Let's keep reading. After toiling and fishing all night, he was done fishing. But he is not undone in the state of God's presence. Verse 6. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish. Oh, how many times have you been wrong? Mm. <laughs> Every. And their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats. So they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. This is Peter's undoing. Meaning that I don't even deserve to be in your presence because you are holy and I am not. He was undone. Undone of his own opinion and desires that were brought to utter destruction and ruin in that moment. Whether it be Moses, whether it be Isaiah, whether it be Peter, whether it be even you, you are required to experience an undoing and a death that comes only from experiencing the holiness of a holy God. Amen. And much in the same way for Peter, it is for us. It is those moments when we have cast out our fear and return nothing in value. And then we forecast his failure as well. And blessing upon blessing is then poured out. And it's then that we see the comparison between him and us. Do you guys remember the prophecy from last Thursday night service? Yeah. Let's read it to you so we can grasp its details. Am I not the holy one? Am I not the most high? When you stand in my presence, you shall be undone. For I am a holy God. And to come into my presence is to deal with a holy and a raging fire. The prophets that have gone before took off their sandals in my presence. They tore their garments in my presence. They were undone. For I am the one who makes men holy. It cannot be done by you giving me the best parts of your life. You must come before me and present the unpresentable parts of your life. You may not wear white on the outside of it and have charcoal in your heart. You must come and present the underside of the garment to me. And then I will make you holy. As much as we're hearing that, and we might want to experience the gift of repentance right now in this sermon... 
That's still to come. There's a gift that's waiting for us at the end of our time of preaching this morning. The point in reading this right here is that his holiness must lead to your undoing in his presence. It must lead to that. But we've got a a problem because the reality is that it so often does not lead to our undoing. Think about it. We can worship in his holy presence and not be undone at the end of it. It's incredible. You know, this morning, you need to know that you can't be undone if you're trading in that need in order to be undone and you're trading that in for a false sense of security. You might be asking, how in the world is that even possible? I'm worshiping God here. How can you experience the holiness of God, though, and still leave in one nice, neat, complete peace without yourself having been undone? Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 with us. Say holy as you're turning there. You are going to find and discover the answer to this conundrum. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 12. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves. But when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. Better said, they are without understanding the state of being undone. Because measuring yourself by another imperfect example is what gives you a sense of false security. Comparing yourself with another in this room is what gives you a sense of false security. Your end result is that you are without true understanding. Comparing yourself to others gives you the out that your flesh ultimately craves and wants. You can experience his holy presence without having to become undone before him. You just go back to your measurement and comparison with others around you and tell yourself, I'm good. Well, there's a specific parable that Jesus has that speaks about this that will give us further insight of exactly what to do. You see, we're turning to Luke 18 together to discover this parable. But before we start reading, you guys have to get this piece of the message. You have to understand it deep down. I'm talking deep down in your soul this morning. Your undoing happens in the Lord's presence when the only comparison that you choose to make is between His holiness, His righteousness, His perfection, and your current state. And it causes you to become undone and dead to yourself in his presence. And that is the beginning of all good things, church. We get ourselves in trouble, though, when we can be in the presence of a holy God. And because we compare ourselves to someone else on our left or right and say, I'm better than them in this area. Then we can 
become at rest and not have to become undone in the presence of God? How many times does that happen where you walk in here and instead of focusing on the glorious holiness of your God, you focus on, man, my house is a little bit more in shalom than this guy over here, so I must be good. Luke 18, verse 9. The Lord is going to cleanse us and help us this morning. 18, 9. You guys, when you read this, after the understanding that you just got in Corinthians, this is going to blow your mind. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. That's a good start. And treated others with contempt. That's an even better start. Two men went up in the, into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus. God I thank you that I am not like the other men. I thank you that I'm not like the other men. The extortioners, the unjust, the adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here to my left. You know, if you look at me, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Guys, as you're reading this, you have to understand something. The problem was not that the Pharisee came to the wrong conclusion when he compared himself to the tax collector. That's often the, the way that I've read this parable. Like The Pharisee compared himself, but he came to the wrong conclusion when he compared himself to the tax collector. No, the problem was actually that the Pharisee should not have been comparing himself to anyone else at all except for the holiness of Yahweh God. Can you hear the words of the Pharisee ringing in your ears this morning yet? I fast twice a week, God. I give a tenth of everything that I get. And, yeah. You know, this guy over here doesn't do those things that I just chose per personally and purposefully. He doesn't do those things that I chose as good as I do, so I'm good. You know, when you measure yourself or compare yourself with another, you gain a sense of false security. That's what we're talking about here. Your end result is to remain without understanding, and you do not have to be undone in the holy presence of your king. Is it okay if we go through a, a couple examples with you this morning? Some examples that we were personally wrestling with and engaging with yesterday? You know, I'm, I'm, I preach and teach pretty good. You know, better than that guy over there. Better than that guy over there. So I'm pretty good where I am, right? You know, my house is actually in better shalom than most of the families in this room. So I'm pretty good, right? I don't have to be undone in God's presence. I can compare myself to something a little bit more attainable. Let's get a little closer to home, Pastor Matt. Please do. You know, I'm busier than the other members of my team. So shouldn't they take a little bit more of the load? 
Isn't that right? Since I'm busier, I'm good where I am. They should step up. Or how about this one? Why do I have these hard experiences? And the others around me don't have the same type of hard experiences. You know, since I'm going through these difficult difficulties, and they're not, I must be pretty good where I am. You see, if you're comparing, then the end result is that you do not have to be undone in his holy presence. You can stay right where you are and feel pretty good about it. But experiencing his holy presence, it must lead to you becoming undone and dying to yourself in that process. If it doesn't, then we failed. But the only way to get there is to get your eyes off of others in comparison to them and to focus on the holy presence of your God. It's at that point that then you begin to have hope. When your eyes are focused solely on him. And that comparison between where you are and he is. You begin to find that there is a hope of what can change. The parable continues in verse 13. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Does that sound like a man who is undone in the presence of God? I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is exactly what we heard Peter say after the miraculous catch of the fish. The tax collector's undoing here was just like Peter's undoing. I don't even deserve to be in your presence because you are holy, and I am not. Look, your own opinion and desires must be brought to a place of being undone, a place of utter destruction and ruin, death. Because when you encounter his holy presence and you are undone because your comparison is not with the others around you but with him, this process that brings death will also bring resurrection life. That is the hope that we have. And we're not talking about the resurrection of the dead whenever Jesus returns to usher in his kingdom on earth. We're talking about resurrection right here, right now, while you're in a state of being undone. So to get a better glimpse of this, let's look at how Moses experienced resurrection after the time of his undoing. And death at Horeb. Everybody turn to Exodus chapter 4. We're going to revisit our case studies from the beginning of the sermon. Starting with Moses. And we're going to show you how each one of them experienced resurrection after their undoing. Exodus 4.19. And the Lord said to Moses and Midian, go back to Egypt. What? That doesn't sound like a resurrection yet. Listen to this next line. For all the men who were seeking your life are dead. Wow, that's awesome. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey. 
and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. Guys, Moses went from his undoing in death in the holy presence of his God to this kind of resurrection power in life. One that gathered his whole family to him and was able to lead with the authority of God in his very hands. No longer was he second-guessing the call of God or even his own ability to carry it out. But instead, he marched straight into Egypt and led the nation of Israel out of death into that same resurrection power that he had experienced. Doesn't that give you hope in a place of being undone? We're going to give you some more hope. Isaiah chapter 6. And picking up in verse 6. Holy. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, This has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. Also, oh, there's more. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here am I. Send me. What started in a state of being undone when compared with the holiness of God, is now resulted in a resurrected man of God who is confident to rise up and answer the call of God. Isaiah was raised from his state of, woe is me, for I'm undone, by having the holiness of God's altar come in contact with the exact area of death in his life. What would come out of his mouth? His speech. Because when you are willing to die in his presence, man, our God is more than willing to cleanse you of iniquity. He is more than willing to sanctify your speech and resurrect you with the hope that you can answer the call of God and rise up to it. Go back to Luke 5 with us. Say, holy is your turn in there. Luke 5. We're going to start in the second half of verse 10. And Jesus said to Simon, this is right after Simon said, get away from me. Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Guys, while the men were wrestling with this boatload of fish because they were all wrong, Peter, as the chief one who was wrong, Peter was wrestling with his own death in the presence of the Son of God. The very holiness that crucified Peter's pride in that moment was the catalyst to resurrect him straight into his call in God. Peter's resurrecting moment was not just for Peter alone, though. It served as a means of inspiration for the men with him to join in the death of forsaking all, to follow the Messiah, who would then do the same for them. Listen, church, it's an amazing thing that Peter's standing there and he's like, get away from me. You're too holy. 
Your holiness I am not worthy of. And the next thing that Jesus says is, do not be afraid. No, you, you come closer to me. You come closer to me. You experience more of my holiness. You experience more of my resurrection power. I have this in store for you, Peter. Today we're celebrating the resurrection. Today we're celebrating the resurrection. Hallelujah. Not only of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but our own ability to be resurrected today in a state of being undone. Look, we have taught you that it was not just Jesus who experienced resurrection. And it is not just the final death that the saints of God have been resurrected from. Moses experienced death in the desert, but he also experienced resurrection. Same for Isaiah and the same for Peter when he was on the Sea of Galilee. For Peter, this experience of being undone, dead, and resurrected, gave him the authority and boldness to preach something that would change the lives of men in Jerusalem. Acts chapter 3, verse 14. Turn with me, or, or turn with me there, and say holy as you turn. Holy. Chapter 3, verse 14. Peter speaking to the men in Jerusalem. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. Now, this word author is so much more than someone who has just penned a book or originated a thought. We have a slide for you that helps get a better understanding of this. Archegos. What we have highlighted at the bottom of this page is that it denotes the founder as the first cause, ruler, or dispenser. So the Greek translation of this event is saying, from Peter's words, you killed the first cause, ruler, and dispenser of life itself. Therefore, God raised him from the dead. Peter's message was preached from personal experience, meaning that he has personally experienced the death of his own efforts and the resurrection power of Christ in the miraculous catch. Therefore, he intimately knew the ruler and dispenser of life. Because fishing all night and then witnessing the author of life dispense resurrection power in that catch was not the only time he would dwell in death and then have the need to be raised to life. What about the death of jumping out of the boat in faith to go to Jesus on the Sea of Galilee? As he jumps, what happens to him next? Blah, 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 blah. But that's not where the story ends. The hand of the Messiah reached down to him in that state of death, and it resurrected him back to his feet. What about the prophetic words of Jesus speaking to Peter in his final days on earth and predicting that Peter would deny Jesus three times? Peter did it. Then afterwards he goes off and he weeps 
bitterly, but only then to be resurrected to his feet, to rise up and go strengthen his brothers afterwards. And we know from the narrative of Acts, that's exactly what he did. Here is a central point that we want you to get this morning. There is no such thing as a singular death and a singular resurrection. I'm going to say it again so we can get it deep in our souls. There is no such thing as a singular death and a singular resurrection. In the life of every believer, there must be daily death followed by daily resurrection. Oh, let's kick the can one more step down the road. Those who die the most have resurrection power the most. So therefore, it is our triumph and our joy to go to that place daily of being undone because we know the certainty of resurrection that will occur. 1 Corinthians 15, 31, I will read it to you out of the Amplified. And listen closely. I assure you, by the pride which I have in you, your fellowship and union with Christ Jesus our Lord, that I die daily. I face death every day and die to self. Was Paul a man well acquainted with facing death? Well, he was also a man well acquainted with resurrection power. You cannot have one without the other because God designed us to encounter him through death so that we can encounter his resurrection power. Let me just say praise God. You know, in our, in our case studies in this sermon, we really, really like to celebrate the victories of these men. And rightly so. We should celebrate their victories. We should celebrate their life. But all too often, we don't wrestle with what they wrestled with in order for us to get to the same level of victory that they received. You know, if you look at each of these passages with honest eyes, each of these men had serious doubt about their own capabilities. It was firmly embedded in their heart and mind. For Moses, he was asking questions like, who is even able to represent the Lord? For Isaiah, he was asking a question like, who is even able to speak on behalf of Yahweh God? For Peter, he was asking questions like, who is able to bring in a harvest like my Lord is commanding me to? Now imagine if these men had continued to ask these questions and continued to dwell on them without experiencing the holiness of their God and becoming undone in his presence. Well, what was great victory and what we were able to celebrate earlier would have become them spending the rest of their days measuring and comparing themselves to others and crediting themselves with righteousness. They would have never become undone if they would have stayed dwelling on those questions. They would never have experienced death to their own fleshly thoughts and doubts. 
And they would have also never experienced the resurrection, the glorious resurrection that comes after. It's true that staying in this state of who is really even able to do this, dwelling in that state would have resulted in the death of the call. Not these men's deaths, but the death of the call that was on each one of their lives. And the loss of what could have been theirs. The resurrection power that they would in turn lead others into. So the question really is, how about you? You too have these who is able kind of doubts inside of you. Don't you? Yes. I do. To joyfully enter into resurrection power, we're going to joyfully examine where our hearts really are in this matter. Are you going to join me in the joy of doing this? Yeah. Let's all begin by going to 1 Samuel chapter 6. Say holy as you turn. Holy. We're going to pick up in verse 20. Then the men of Beth Shemesh said, Who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? And to whom shall he go up away from us? Now these men were housing the Ark of the Covenant in the Philistine area because the Philistines had taken it captive. As a result, tumors broke out among them. Seventy men were killed for touching the ark of God, and they were now facing the state of death as a result of coming in contact with the holiness of God. And their desire was, get it out of here. Who is able to stand before the Lord because he is holy and we are not? Let's turn this towards us, towards me. This is when I am so busy with my own life, so wrapped up in my own agendas and projects and what I have scheduled, I don't have the time to experience death in his presence. I want to bypass it. I want to circumvent it. Ultimately, I want to escape it. And here's more pointedly how it looks. I prioritize and protected my own plans more than the death and resurrection that can be found in him that day. When you do this, you're asking for the ability to escape your necessary death, but no one can escape death. It's death now and resurrection life now, or it's death later with a resurrection that you're not going to be excited about. <laughs> More explicitly, it's really experiencing death for the sake of others. I'm talking about that time that your wife... One of the members of your household, a disciple or friend, just stops by in an impromptu fashion. And you are locked in on what you want to get accomplished. And it is so dang painful to stop your own agenda and pour life into them. You don't want to die to what you want to do. I know those searing moments hit me multiple times a week. And I have to choose to die so that I can be a recipient of life that gives life. We have the choice now to choose death daily because our hope is also in his daily resurrection that when you look at that person, that disciple that stops by and you choose death, I promise you 
resurrection power that wasn't in you before will be immediately present then. Somebody say, who is able? Now say it like this, who is able? Think about that as you turn to 1 Kings 3. 1 Kings 3, verse 9. All right, you got to do it again. Say, who is able as you're turning there? Who is able? Yeah, if you haven't gotten it yet, that's the title of our message this morning. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able? To govern this great, this your great people. Thank you, ESV. Let's engage with this experience together that King Solomon is having. You know, for us, in King Solomon's position, we're looking at it and we're like, you know what? He is like the smartest guy on the planet. Super wise. Super discerning. God gave him an amazing amazing wisdom and revelation in his life. But when I read this story, something that I'm engaging with is, yeah, who really is able to handle the ever-increasing responsibility that God wants to put on his shoulders? Or wives, who, who is really able to handle the increasing responsibility of another child? Or another ministry meeting this week. Or another meeting at the house. Who's really able? Who can do that? You guys relating to me yet? (laughs) I mean, these things aren't just hypothetical, right? Okay. You know, some of you might be thinking, you know, I got a hard time just managing my own life, all right? Like, yeah. I don't know if I can manage anybody else, too. And then other people as well? Who's able to do this? Or, man, you know, I'm really, like, I'm bursting at the seams right here. My schedule is so busy. I got so much going on that I just, I can't add anything to it. Who's able to do this? It interferes with my naps. (laughs) You know, deep down, the, the thought that I bet you're having is when can I really just get to that point where the lives around me that are surrounding me have become exactly the right number and exactly the right maturity level and I never have to feel overloaded or pressed too far? When do I get there? When do I get, when do I get there? It's got to be sometime in the near future, right? Oh, never? Oh, really? Oh, no. Never. Well, that, yeah. Hosanna. We need to call Hosanna. We need to cry out Hosanna because when we get to that particular thought process and we've walked through it, then our own determination is, I'm going to determine what capacity I can and can't do. I'll determine that for myself. And I don't have to be undone in his presence because that would change some things, wouldn't it? Amen. Can I step on your toes a little bit more? Most of us in this room have 
prayed, beseeched the heavens for children. Lord, give us children. Exactly. <laughs> oh, I'm going to pour some alcohol and salt in it. And then we quickly come to the point we can't wait till they grow up and we don't have to actually take responsibility for them. It doesn't change when they grow up. No, no, it does not change when they grow up. Lord, give me this blessing. Yes, they, Lincoln, you are spot on, brother. He feels me. Yeah, we want to determine our own capacity of doing God's will. The truth is, we can do so much more than what we originally estimate. And we always undercut and undervalue the requirements of being undone. And therefore, the glory of it. Last passage, with a couple more toes to step on. Including my own. Second Chronicles, chapter 2, verse 6, say holy. Actually, you know what? Say who is able. As you turn to your Bible and in your heart. Verse 6. But who is able to build him a house? Since heaven, even the highest heaven, cannot contain him. Who am I to build a house for him? Except as a place to make offerings before him. You know, when we look at the model of all models, the king of kings, and we look at his life, who was able to do the things that we see in his life? What about even the first century church when we're going through the book of Acts and Foundations right now? And there is that, that response of who is able to build a church that looks just like that? Ultimately, this is what you're saying and what I'm saying. I'm intimidated by the death that these greater tasks require. I am fearful. Intimidated is actually just really a polished word that's a bit cowardly. I'll be honest with you. I'm not intimidated. I'm scared to death. Scared to death of death of being dead. I don't want to have to die to see resurrection power. I want what I want and I want it now. Please don't give me greater task than what I already feel like I can easily accomplish. Please don't add to my load what, we, what is really necessary to put the foundational building blocks of a home that is full of holiness and shalom. I want it to just be like a spiritual gift that you come out and you wave your hand and it's imparted upon me. I want to jump over my own tomb. Oh, you want to leap clear over your own grave rather than fall face down into it so that the only hope you have is for him to lift you out of that responsibility. What's required to build God's house? It's required to dig a grave and throw yourself into it. 
then he'll raise a rock-solid foundation that can never be shaken. So we got a question for you after reading and engaging with these three passages. Who, who is able? Can you, can you say that again, Marlon? Yes! Everybody scream, he is able. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew 26. We're going to take one more moment to punch you square in the gut before we experience the resurrection power of Christ together this morning. Maybe a little lower than the gut. You guys will recognize this passage. Matthew 26, 36, then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther. He fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet. Somebody say, yet. 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 Not as I will, but as you will. We're super familiar with this moment that is prior to the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. And this passage there's a key to how he is able. There's a key right here. At the point of being undone, at the point of Jesus literally falling face down. You know, for everyone else around, it could have looked like he was falling face down, like he was failing. But he was falling face down before his father. At that point, Jesus cries out to his father, and he comes to the conclusion, yet not as I will, but as you will. This same cry out of our hearts is the key that will unlock resurrection power for us. Not just in that moment sometime in the future. This thought, this commitment is the key to going from death to life today and every day that we live and walk on this earth. Who needs the key to unlock resurrection power for you this morning? The spirit that God gives us is the spirit of truth. And he leads us to all truth, right? The truth that we're being led to right now and that we must confront in our own lives is our default state to escape death. And that is seen by the expression when we say to our Father, Father, not your will, but my will be done. Father, not your will, but my will be done. You're smart. You're savvy. You're wise enough to know 
not to say this directly to your father. You wouldn't utter that at all. But actions speak louder than words. You voice this in your actions every time you avoid choosing his will and choose your own instead. The way that our hearts and minds are transformed to echo the very words of our king in the, that pressing moment is that you have to be able to see beyond the moment of death. The father revealed to him the complete plan. And yet he still had to go through that pressing moment and state those very words. But he was able because he saw the end goal of what that undoing would do. Amen. It's knowing for certain that there will be resurrection. Yeah. There will be life. So remember, there is no such thing as a single death and a single resurrection. That did not exist for the king of kings. It was not the state of the patriarchs or prophets or any believer that stands with them now in the cloud of witnesses. We must learn to love, to daily embrace death. Because we have an unshakable hope in the daily resurrection that follows after it. Church, there's only one author of life. And while we are not able who really is able? The truth is, is that he is able. He is able to bring life and resurrection right out of the death that we choose to die for him. <clears throat> Let's turn to Daniel 4.37. We're going to run through a couple quick scriptures with you so that you can understand the not the full extent, but some of the extent of his ability to be able to resurrect us. Daniel 4.37 says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are right, and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. He's able to do it, church. Raise your hand in this room if you act in pride from time to time. That's right. So you should be incredibly encouraged in this passage. Why is your hand still not raised? <laughs> Part of the good news that we have for you this morning is that he is able to humble you. He is able to bring you low so that you can have the soft heart and be developed by him. Let's keep this train moving. 2 Timothy 1, verse 12, ESV. Say, he is able as you turn. He is able. Which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he, he is, is able. able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. So who, who has a deposit from the Father that has been entrusted to you? Until that day the sun returns. Every one of us do. Realize that he is able to help you guard what has been entrusted to you. And even cause it to grow 30, 60, and 100 fold through the process of your daily death and daily resurrection. Hallelujah. Hebrews chapter 2. Say he is able as you're turning there. Verse 18. For because he himself 
has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. That's good news. He is able, and we can assure you, you are not going through something that no one else has gone through. That's rubbish. That's trash, and it's not true. He himself suffered through the same temptations for sin, and he is able to help you. Hear me, not after you've already given in to sin, but before you've done the sin. He's able to help you before you sin. And he will give you the power to conquer those sins because he himself did. Is he able, church? Yeah. Let's turn to uh, Hebrews chapter 7, yeah. verse 23, and say he is able as you turn. He is able. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save, get this, to the uttermost, to the uttermost, those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For those who do not flee from his presence and try and escape death, but choose to draw near to God and make him and his sanctuary their very refuge. Just like Peter did. Just like Peter did. He is able to save you and not just somewhat save you, but save you to the uttermost, to the depths of death itself. Save you completely. And did you catch that? Even Jesus is living right now to make intercession on your behalf for the Father? Wow. That means you are never without an advocate before the throne of God that can intercede on your behalf to resurrect into life. He is, able. is he able, church? He is able. Is he able? Susie, is he able? Anna, is he able? Cody, is he able? Oh, there we go. Turn to Revelation chapter 5 with us. Come on. Come on, church. Revelation 5.1. This is our fifth and final passage in this string before we come to a close together this morning. It's the close before the close. Come on. Turn with us. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is able? Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the root of David. He is our triumphant king. It's his resurrection that brings the hope of resurrection for all of us. 
We're celebrating that future resurrection today, but we're also celebrating the resurrection in each one of us that will happen today and here and now. He is able, church. He is. But it's also true that only he is able. Get that. Did you hear there was no one else? No one else in the heavens or the earth could do it. But he could. That means something. For us this morning, it means that apart from him, none of you are able. You ever wonder why it's one of the elders that has to speak to John? And encourage him that Jesus, the Lamb of God, is able. Well, it's obviously because the elder undoubtedly has experienced Yahweh's holiness. The elder has experienced his own undoing in death. And the elder has experienced God's supernatural resurrection power manifesting in his life. And he's gone through the process over and over and over and over again. So when John is weeping and he's doubting and he's saying, who can do this? The elder stands up and says, I know one who's able. I know the one who is able and he's done it for me over and over and over again. We're going to come to the end of ourselves many times, church. But we're also going to experience Adonai resurrect and empower us just as many times as we can die. Turn together with us this morning to our final passage, 2 Corinthians 13. I want to hear the voice of of my fiery redhead lioness of a bride, say he is able. He is able. Yeah, he is, baby. Second <laughs> Corinthians 13, verse 3. He is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. Church, the fact of the matter is, just like Jesus, just like Moses, Isaiah, and Peter, we must learn to become undone and willing to die, knowing that the power of God will again resurrect us and do so daily, time and time again. We must learn to say, not as I will, but as you will, Lord. All men want to have the appearance of strength, projecting it out there, as well as the self-exalting credit of being better than the other guy or the very one next to them. Crucifying those ambitions and learning to die again today, here and now, is the glory and nobility that the King of Kings sees as real, actual strength. The truth always will be found in the statement, he is able. It is only him who is able, and apart from him, you are not able. That being said, the Lamb lives to intercede and empower the saints to be able to do what they cannot do without him. Amen. Your crucifixions will never, ever be seen 
as tragedy, saints. Never will they be seen as tragedies. They will be seen as the greatest triumphs and accomplishments of your entire life. These will build a testimony for others who are watching and witnessing this occurring in your own life. The testimony that a man can be continually sustained by the resurrection power of our king and by him and him alone who was able. Stand up with us, church. Stand up with us this morning. Stand up. Church, do you have an anticipation of the hope of a supernatural resurrection in your life this morning? That's right, you should because he is able. But to get there, to get there, we invite you, church, this morning to come and die with us in the holy presence of God. We invite you this morning to come and be undone as you compare yourself in his holiness. As you see who he is, a holy God that has reached down and said, come near to me. Come experience me. Come be holy together with me. You die and I will bring a supernatural transformative resurrection to you. Father, we trust you completely this morning. Father, we willingly, no, we longingly come die in your holy presence, mighty one. We thank you, mighty God, that we can become undone before you. Father, we thank you that you will resurrect us as we stand up from this altar. In Jesus' name.